Christmas is officially over, and that means we're wrapping up the NFL season. And and this strange, strange year 2020 is, that means it's the current start of the NBA season. So today, here on Cut to the Chase, as always, I'm your host, Chase Williams. We're going to cover the end of the NFL season with just one week to go, some interesting storylines. And we're also going to cover the beginning of the NBA season. Alongside me today is Kyle Boward which seems to happen a lot, but it feels like I haven't had you on for a second to actually talk about sports going on in the real world. So how are you, Kyle? I'm good. It's been kind of cool hearing uh, some of your different co-hosts and their opinions on what's going on in the world. I've been enjoying listening. It's, it's been fun to spice things up, but it's always, it's always good. It's always good to have a classic. So that's what we got today. I think to start off, nothing better than the NFL. Some breaking news this news this morning with Dwayne Haskins getting released by the Washington football team. Tell me, what's your opinion on the situation in Washington and, and with Haskins? And are you surprised? Or are you not? I will admit I was surprised. Um, but the more I read about the circumstances behind it again like as as a sports fan and i think you can attest to this we don't always get the inside scoop we don't know what's going on behind closed doors we don't know what's going on in practice we don't know what's going on in the film room or what's not going on in the film room more specifically um but it seems like based on the reports i've read haskins his mind hasn't been in it for washington for a while I don't know if he's just getting lazy thinking like everything's going to be given to him or like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it, it was working for him. And we've seen that in the past with, with top draft pick quarterbacks where sometimes they just don't pan out. Look at what happened with Josh Rosen. He's, you know, been traded a few times here and there. Uh, Not that Josh Rosen, in my opinion, was that great of a talent, Uh, but you know, it happens. There's no such thing as a sure thing. And uh, Haskins, as highly touted as he was, um, we may have seen his last days as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He could become one of those journeyman backups who, you know, will fill in for somebody like a Nick Foles, but you can't trust him to be a consistent starting quarterback. That was kind of a disrespectful jab at Nick Foles. I think he's a good quarterback, but he's not a every weak starter to me but Dwayne Haskins I mean it sounds like he did it to himself and uh, I look forward to seeing what happens with him but I don't know if I had to guess I'd say he's going to be a backup somewhere he's going to be like uh, you know Canadian Football League star that's funny because one thing I saw was this morning was a meme about the XFL and all the current NFL busts and NFL busts of coaches as well, like Adam Gase, Dwayne Haskins, and how that could be the stars of the XFL in twenty in 2022 when it comes back potentially. But yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I, I had read going into Sunday's game that pretty much he got the nod and that it was his chance to either prove it or that he was done in, in Washington. I'm surprised they made the move. Right now, I figured they would try to trade him this offseason or they'd cut him this offseason. But to just cut him the week of the most important game of the season with the fact that if they win, they are in the playoffs was kind of baffling to me. I mean, I was never a huge Haskins fan, but that's because he went to the Ohio State University and I don't like the Ohio State University. 
Um, I thought the pick was interesting when Washington did it. You know, high risk, high high reward, but um, the risk showed too much. As uh, not Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin III tweeted out this morning, wishing for the best, you're only 23, learn from this and bounce back. His career is not over. I think you're probably right about his career path and the fact that he is likely to be a backup. I think he might get a chance or two, you know, might be signed to somewhere where he can compete for the starting position next year. But I think I agree. His time as a starter is probably over in the NFL. And if he doesn't learn from this, his time as an NFLer is pretty much done. He, he'll get a job or two, but, you know, we, we can't really – I mean, you won't see him in the league for long. He's he's not over, but he will be over soon if he does not learn from this situation. And it's disappointing because right now, as my dad said, my favorite team is the Washington football team, which isn't true, but I have talked about them a lot. I really enjoyed them this year. They're my favorite six and seven or no, they're not six and seven. I think they're seven and eight or something right now. They're my favorite failure of a team slash succeed succession of a team ever. Just they're so interesting, but I'm really hoping this means Alex Smith is going to start this weekend, but we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit later. I think one of the most important storylines of this week is the fact that the Jaguars got blown out by the Bears, which was important for both sides for it to happen because now the Jaguars have secured the first overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. Do you think this is good for Jacksonville or do you think it's, I mean, obviously Trevor Lawrence is the number one pick, a a smart pick, but do you think it really puts them on the right path or do you think they were okay with the path of having the second pick and having lots more options than the obvious of trading for Trevor Lawrence. Does this really kick their rebuild? I would say kickstart their rebuild. I think they are a quarterback away from being a contender for a wild card spot. Um, I look at their roster and their defense. They've got young talent on defense. They, they drafted chase on, they've got CJ Henderson, um, Josh Allen, Miles Jack, Joe Schobert. Um, they've got talent on the defensive side, and they also have a few offensive weapons. Uh, you know, they've got James Robinson, who's been an awesome running back this year. They've got uh, wide receivers like Chark and Chenault, and then they've got uh, Eifert at tight end. They have weapons on offense, and they have a decent offensive line. Um, Norwell is one of the most underrated guards in the league. Cam Robinson at tackle is, is a good offensive lineman. So I, I looked at their roster and yeah, I mean, they're bad. They're one in 14. Of course they're bad, but they're a quarterback away from being able to compete in games. And I think Trevor Lawrence is that answer. And this is a, I mean, this is going to be sounding weird, you know, cause it was after a 14 loss season, potentially 15, probably 15. Um, it's a big win for Shad Khan. Uh, the owner has money. He wants to spend. He's excited. Um, I think they're the most likely team to relocate right now. Uh, and I know I've talked about this with you. I don't expect London to be an NFL spot, but that excites me to think about an NFL team being overseas. I think that the logistics of that are still weird right now. But if a team was going to do that, it would be the Jaguars and it would be this owner, Shad Khan. And can you imagine doing that with, 
you know, a potential future face of the NFL and Trevor Lawrence. It would be a crazy move for them to make. You know, it's very much, it's a Madden move is what I would say right now. It would be, I, I think you're right in the fact that Jacksonville is the next team to relocate if a team does anytime soon. But I, I sadly don't see it being London, not right now. But again, if, if any franchise was going to, if any sports league was going to have a team over the pond, it would probably be the NFL with the fact that they only play once a week and have games almost every year in London already. But I, I agree with you that I think they're about a quarterback away. I think there's other changes they need to make um, because I, I agree with you. They have a good team. They've done a lot of changing on defense. You know, they traded away Jalen Ramsey and there's other notable moves they've made with notable Def- mainly defensive players that you saw on that team that went up in the AFC championship game against the Patriots a few years back, but they've also stayed consistent to where they have good players on that defense. They have a decent offensive team as well, which is really what's confusing about the way they're one and 14 besides they've had terrible quarterback play. But if you look at Gardner Minshew's numbers, he hasn't been as terrible as it looks in some ways. So it's overall confusing setup which makes me point to the coaching staff and and wonder if there's changes that need to be made there and I think there are a few small pieces away from having large improvements I'll say that and speaking of Gardner Minshew I'm curious what do they do with Gardner Minshew what do you think is the best route for both Jacksonville and Minshew himself in this upcoming offseason and next season I think he'll he'll be happy to be a backup to Trevor Lawrence I don't see him going to any other team in the league and being a starter, not even, you know, the, the worst of the worst teams. I don't think there's a team out there that he would walk in and, and compete for a starting spot. So I think best case scenario for Minshew be the backup. And uh, you know, if something happens to Lawrence or if they want to kind of limit his snap count early in the season, you've got Minshew to fall back on. Uh, but if Minshew's your quarterback, you're not winning games, period. Yeah, I have to say, when Gardner Minshew came in as this big thing with Minshew mania, I never understood it. Um, I think he is a little bit of a better quarterback than you gave him credit for. I think there are a few places where he could go and compete. But I think the best option is, at least for the Jaguars, to hold on to him. You know, I don't necessarily think he will put up some amazing training camp and really make people question if him or Trevor Lawrence should be the starter. But I think there's a chance that, you know, it would be be good for Trevor Lawrence to not be able to go just Jacksonville and be like, ah, this is my team. This is easy. Have some competition going on. And I think that's what we should see. Maybe they move on from Minshew, not this off season, but next off season. I mean, I think about, potentially like the one team that I was trying to go through teams that potentially Minshew could also compete for a starting job with one of them was the Jets and then I thought I think Sam Darnold could be a lot better if um, he has a better team slash a better coaching staff around him which we'll unpack in a second maybe maybe the Raiders but you saw I think I think both Mariota and Carr are significantly better than him I just don't see it right now I feel like there's a lot of teams that have quarterbacks, a team that stands out potentially New England. I guess you could say Washington as well, with the fact that who knows how long Alex Smith will be there. They are a team that could go after Minshew. If I'm Minshew, I'm not against the idea of being traded. 
But I also think you just kind of have to sit for at least the next year because I don't see Jacksonville moving on from him. But I think there's a lot of opportunities for him. I just don't expect, like you said, I don't expect him to be a starter in the NFL. I don't, at least not for a very long time. One of those teams, though, that I did mention was the New York Jets. The Jets now locked in at spot number two. What do they do at number two? We know Adam Gase is going to get fired on Sunday or or Monday, most likely. Uh, I mean, it's all but confirmed, pretty much. But they they have Sam Darnold, who they recently drafted in, in the first round. They don't especially need a quarterback. And with the idea of there not being a clear quarterback that fits at number two anyways, what should the New York Jets do at the number two pick? Well, you said first and foremost, number one thing the Jets should do is fire Gase. If there's one thing I've learned, uh, I talked to a, a friend of mine who is a big Miami Dolphins fan. He texted me after the Jets beat the Rams and sent his condolences. And uh, <laughs> he, he and I had a good conversation about Gase. And what he said was, Gase has never been able to develop a quarterback. And... I don't know if you watch Sam Darnold at USC. I know I'm biased and it's going to sound extremely biased, but he was a star in the making and he should be a really good NFL starter right now. And the problem is the head coach. So the jets need to go out and get a head coach who knows how to coach up a quarterback. And then at number two, what they should do is trade back. They have a lot of holes. They need to roll with Darnold in my opinion They need to trade back, get a few more extra picks, and try to fill in around him. What I think they're going to do, and this is awful, they're probably going to end up drafting a quarterback. They're going to take Justin Fields, or they're going to take Zach Wilson, who's climbing up people's draft boards right now. Um, I don't think it makes sense for them to do that, but it's the NFL, and I'm not in the front office, and I never expect what ends up happening. I agree with the fact that they should trade back. Um, I I don't agree with the idea of a quarterback at number two. I I realize that it's very much a Jets move to do with drafting a quarterback at number two. I wouldn't be surprised if Fields is on the roster, or I feel like it's more of a Jets move to Zach uh, to draft Zach Wilson from BYU, which I absolutely hate that the idea of that pick. I think there are potential – I think there are good players they could draft at number two. I'm not exactly sure what the NFL draft board looks like right now, but I definitely feel like they could fill a hole at number two. But the best way to fill multiple holes is to trade back. The Jets are in a tough situation, or whoever is at number two are truly a tough situation. I think a team that needs a quarterback should trade up for that spot. It makes sense. It might be a little bit of a stretch. But you can at least guarantee you can get any quarterback you want besides Trevor Lawrence. And as you mentioned, I, I did watch Sam Darnold actually at USC somewhat. He was he was a good quarterback. I thought he could become a solid starter in the NFL. And as we've talked about in text, I always joke around, well, the Rams should just trade for Sam Darnold. Um, as, we, as you complained mainly about Jared Goff, which – We'll unpack the injuries in that Rams and Cardinals game later. But I I think that Darnold is a good quarterback and that they definitely should shy away from a quarterback if they draft at number two. But I think the idea that you bring up about trading back is a great idea. But now I want to transition a little bit from the draft to actually games that matter. On Saturday, we saw a game that 
really was a blowout. It was 47 to 7. The Buccaneers looked the best they have probably all season against the Detroit Lions, which are shockingly somehow 5 and 10 right now, which seems like an outrageously good record for the year that they've had. But is this due to the Lions being the Lions and them getting to play the Detroit Lions? Or is this because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to cause some trouble in the playoffs this upcoming January? And if so, how far can they go? How much trouble can they really create being a wild card team that's probably going to be playing on the road every week? I think that that Tampa Bay, they have too many weapons on offense not to be competing uh, for you know, playoff wins. I think that Tom Brady is still a good quarterback. He's got weapons at receiver. He can throw to three different guys who would all be number ones for some of these uh, other teams in the league. Um, I think the Buccaneers are a really good team. And I, I believe that they can win one playoff game, if not a second. Um, I don't think they go much further than, you know, conference championship if they get there. But I think they can win a playoff game. I completely agree. It, I've said all season, going back to my feelings <laughs> on the Washington football team, they're going to be what it's looking like. If, if they win this week, they'll be 7-9. and nine. They'll be your home team playing against the Buccaneers. And I've said that I thought that somehow that the NFC East champion will obviously have a playoff game at home, and they'll win that playoff game at home. They won't just have it, but they will win it. I don't think that's true with the way the Buccaneers are playing right now. I think if we see a Buccaneers versus Washington football team, we'll see a similar matchup to what we saw this week with the Lions and the fact that they'll get blown out by 20, 30, um, maybe 40 points if it's really bad. And I think the Buccaneers could make some make some big moves. They have talent on both sides of the ball. They're getting hot. They beat some solid teams recently. They've looked good against some solid teams, and they've looked bad against some teams as well. But, I mean, think about it. They're one of the three losses the number one seed has in the Green Bay Packers. And not only did they beat the Green Bay Packers, they beat the Green Bay Packers, granted, it was at an empty Lambeau field and it was in September, early October, but they still did do that. And Tom Brady is used to bad weather. So if they have to, in the second week, go up to green Bay and play the Packers and Lambeau and it's snowing or looks somewhat like it did last night on Sunday night football. I wouldn't bet. I wouldn't count out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers could make some damage. I agree. I don't know if I could see them in the playoffs. I mean, not in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. Um, just uh, there's in my mind a little bit of a curse that if you host the Super Bowl, you can't be in it, and so there's no way Tampa Bay can make it that far. Um, but I think this is a team that I would be scared of. The, I mean, really, I see them as someone who can beat the Packers, I see them as someone who can beat the Saints, even though they've looked probably two of their worst games have been against the Saints. And I don't have much faith in the Seahawks at all, and I think they could beat the Seahawks as well. And, of course, I think they can beat the Washington football team. I've already said that. So they can beat anyone in the NFC. It's the question of will they beat anyone in the NFC. It feels like some weeks we see a top-tier team and some weeks we see a team that needs to trade away Tom Brady and rebuild. So I'll be interested to see what Tampa Bay does, but I do expect damage to be done when the playoffs start. And as I mentioned 
in the second week, they could potentially have to go up and play Green Bay. So why not talk about Green Bay, the number one seed in the NFC? And you know they got their second team. They they got their second win with against a team above a 500 record, both coming against AFC South opponents, the Colts, and now the Titans. But they've looked really, really good. And I want to know: Are they the best team of the NFC in your opinion? And if they aren't, who is and why? I think. Right now, so I think the Packers are the best team in the NFC. Um, they're a great team. They've got who should be the MVP, Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think he's pretty much locked that up, if you ask me. I know some people will still say Mahomes, but I think Rodgers has locked it up. Um, yeah, they haven't played a tough schedule, but I think that the way Aaron Rodgers is playing and you know having a running back who can – take some of the pressure off him and having weapons at wide receiver. I expect the Packers to be in the NFC championship game. Yes, they are the best team in the NFC, but I'm still sticking with my, my early pick. I think the saints are going to beat the Packers in the NFC championship and, and eventually win the super bowl. But right now the Packers have to be the favorite. I agree. The Packers are by far the favorite in the NFC. In my opinion, I just for some reason, I haven't had faith in New Orleans all season. I definitely don't have faith in Seattle. Um, as much as I do wonder if an NFC East champion could win a playoff game, they're not a threat to anyone and to the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay is inconsistent. Something tells me that if they play three games, at least one of them will be a dud. So therefore, I don't see them in the Super Bowl. Uh, no offense to your Los Angeles Rams, but they're kind of a joke right now with the fact that they lost to the Jets. And, I mean, now we see Jared Goff injured, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And we have potentially either the Bears or the Cardinals, and neither of those teams, I think, are a true threat to the Packers. So I think by far the Packers are the team to beat in the NFC. Um, I, I do agree with the fact that the Saints are probably the second-best team and have a good threat to beat them. I feel like this year there's just a lot that could happen, so I'm not going to count anyone out. Um, but I think by far they are the best team. And so I want to talk about, I was going to start off with the AFC and talk about what you expect to happen with the leftover scenarios, but I think it's only right since we're talking about the NFC, I think we should start off with the NFC with the fact that, you know, if Washington, we'll start off with the NFC East. That is, here's the scenarios. I'll let you, I'll let you explain what you expect to happen, but Washington plays Philadelphia and Philadelphia is the only team that can't win the NFC East still. And if Washington wins, they're in. If not, then the winner of the Giants and the Cowboys are in the playoffs. And so I'm curious, do you see Washington winning that game and Washington being your champion? And if not, who wins that Giants-Cowboys matchup and gets the home, home game against what's likely to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I think Philly pulls it out. I, I'm not too excited to see what happens with the Washington quarterback situation right now. Um I think Philly with Jalen Hurts, they're going to end the season on a high note. They're going to play spoiler and knock Washington out of the playoffs. And then it, all eyes are on that Giants-Cowboys game. And, you know, the Cowboys look good right now. The Cowboys' uh, offense is starting to click. Uh, Zeke is healthy and had a great game. Um, but the Giants' defense has been so underrated this year. I'm picking the Giants to beat uh, the Cowboys and to make the playoffs. Interesting. We have very different opinions on this because my first opinion is I think 
assuming what happens with the quarterback situation in Washington, if Alex Smith plays, I think they win. And if they win, they're in. And that's been my hope. I've been saying this since pretty much a little bit before Thanksgiving that the Washington football team will win the NFC East. I've really felt that way, and they have to win in primetime on Sunday night, and they're in. It's as simple as that. If Alex Smith plays, they win. If he doesn't, they lose. But I disagree. I don't see the Giants winning. I think the Giants have kind of fallen apart. And, yes, they do have a good defense. But I don't – I think ever since they flirted with bringing Daniel Jones back and now that they're messing with their quarterbacks a little bit, it's the wrong time. It's messing with their offensive flow. The Cowboys are going to do just enough if – if Washington loses, they'll win the game. Even if Washington wins, obviously, completely different game. But it, it's going to come down to either the Cowboys or the Washington football team. I think the Cowboys are sadly the second most likely team to win the NFC East. And that's not at all what I want, but it is what it is. And I think they somehow could pull it out if the Washington football team does not play Alex Smith this week. But it all comes down to is Alex Smith healthy enough to come to the playoffs one more time to be a disappointment and lose in the first round. No offense to Alex Smith, but that that's the truth. Going into the wild card, though, it, it's a little bit different. We have the Bears, who if they beat the Packers this week, they're in. The Cowboys need to win and the Bears to lose. The Rams just need to win or the Bears to lose. They can lose, but then they need the Bears to lose. So what do you expect from the wild card over in the NFC? Well, first and foremost, um, I don't think there's any way the Bears are beating the Packers. Uh, I just, I don't see the talent on the Bears team. And I know like we live in, in central Illinois and everybody loves to hype up the Bears. Um, I'm like the, the roster, it's just not a good enough team to be a playoff team in my opinion. And so I think I think we're going to see the Packers beat the Bears and then we're going to get to that, you know, Cardinals and Rams game with without Jared Goff at quarterback and potentially without Kyler Murray as of a few hours ago. Yeah, it's it's a it's a toss up game because through most of the season, I I have said and you've heard me say this, I think the Cardinals are the best team in that division. Um. I, I've liked what I've seen. They've kind of fallen apart towards the end, but nobody in the NFL has fallen apart more than Jared Goff in the second half of this season. Jared Goff, I, he's the most inconsistent quarterback in the league, and I'm done relying on him to win games for the Rams. The Rams have, in my opinion, the best defense in the league. You look at Jalen Ramsey, shut down corner. Any receiver he's played against this year, DK Metcalf, DeAndre Hopkins, it doesn't matter who he's playing against. He has shut down every single receiver he has matched up with. Um, Aaron Donald, defensive player of the year. I think this week getting a, getting a sack on Russell Wilson and, and playing tremendously like he did, he almost came up with a safety at one point. Like He's just – he's the best defensive player in the league. And I think the Rams on defense – are so good that even if they start John Wolford at quarterback, they should win a low scoring game. And I would rather them do that without Jared Goff than with a, my thumb hurts Jared Goff. 
Oh, a my thumb hurts, Jared Goff. I love that. I I'm gonna unpack the Bears Packers at first. You know, if this was any team other than the Bears, if it was even, I mean, I realize the Vikings and Packers are also rivals, but if it was the Vikings in this scenario going up against the Bears, I think there's a good chance that maybe the Packers sit a lot of their good players. But I think the fact that they can win this game, clinch the first round by, which is even more important this year, and ruin the Chicago Bears playoff hopes, I think they're going to do it. I really do. I agree with you. I don't think the Bears are the most talented team. We're from Central Illinois. I'm not a Bears fan, but I do like to see Bears fans happy. They've been really resilient this year. They had high hopes. Looked like one of the best teams in the NFC somehow. Then looked like one of the worst. And now have a chance at the playoffs when I really thought it was over for them. So it'll be it'll be an interesting game. But I think the Packers are probably going to win by about 20 points. Um, and that is what it is. So therefore, the Cardinals and Rams game won't matter much. I disagree. I think that if the Rams don't play Jared Goff or do play Jared Goff, they're going to lose. I think they're going to lose this week. I think the Cardinals are going to win. And that's just because I don't. I know Kyler Murray is hurt. Uh, Coach uh, Kingsbury said that Kyler Murray is uncertain for Sunday's game versus the Rams. Um, it's a lower leg injury. I think he's going to play. I just don't see him not playing. I agree with you that I, at times, at least, they look like the best team in the NFC. So I want to see what happens here. I think that I think they'll both get in, but I think that you're going to see the Cardinals do what the Cardinals need to do and win to get in and then get the luck of the fact that we'll see the Bears lose. Now, we also have another conference to kind of unpack, and it's it's messy. You know, we have the Dolphins currently at five who face the Bills. They win their end. The Ravens at six, they face the Bengals. They win their end. Seven right now is the Browns. They face the Steelers. They win their end. Somehow on the outside is the Indianapolis Colts, which at some team at sometimes people thought the Colts could play upset and upset a higher seed in the NFC and somehow make it to potentially championship weekends and make the AFC championship there on the outside. But they get to play the Jacksonville Jaguars going into this week important week 17. They're all at 10 and five along with the Tennessee Titans, which somehow could miss the playoffs, I believe. And so I'm curious, what do you expect to happen in the AFC? So looking at those four games that you mentioned, uh, I've got the Ravens beating the Bengals. They're a lock. They should be in. At the beginning of the year, people talked about that Ravens team potentially being a 16-0 and team. Uh, they're too talented not to make the playoffs. So they're a lock. Um, the Colts, I've got them beating the Jaguars, which will make things interesting. Uh, because they still need to rely on some help. Um, the Dolphins and Bills game, this is this is interesting, because I do think the Bills are, are the superior team, but I don't expect them to play their starters for the, the length of the game. I don't expect them to give the game away, but I don't expect them to play like they're trying to dash the Dolphins' playoff hopes. And so I think the Dolphins beat the Bills. Uh, that's my upset pick for the week, which leaves the Browns, unfortunately, missing out on the playoffs, even if they beat the Steelers. Um, I think that's the most Browns thing to do 
to win 10 games, potentially 11 games and miss the playoffs. Um, I've got them losing to the Steelers and it, it makes me sad because my grandpa was a huge Browns fan. And I've already said this to you. If I had to change my allegiance from the Rams, it would probably go to the Browns. That would be my top team. But I, I think they miss out on the playoffs again, unfortunately. I agree with you. Tennessee, they play Houston. They're going to win. The Ravens, they play the Bengals. I think that's a lock. They're going to win. As you mentioned, that team's got too much talent to miss the playoffs this year. Um, the Colts go against Jacksonville, so uh, they're going to win. The Colts want to win. The Jags actually don't really care. They may try to win for once. That would be a shocker. But still, they'll, they'll beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then we have the Browns going against the Steelers. And with everything the Steelers have dealt with recently after starting 11-0 and then losing three straight, then having to come back against the Colts, they're going to play. They're going to play as well as they can. And I think they, they could beat the Browns. I really do think. Um, I, I, though, think the Dolphins are also going to lose. My guess is the Browns and the Dolphins both lose, which means the Dolphins make the playoffs and the Browns don't. Either way... I really hope somehow the Colts lose this week because I feel like the most interesting playoff scenario is with the Ravens, the Browns, and the Dolphins in. I think they are three extremely dangerous playoff teams in the wild card. Any of them I could see winning the AFC. I think the favorite in the AFC, obviously, is the Chiefs. But if I had to bet on another team, it wouldn't be the Bills, surprisingly enough. It would be one of these wild card teams. One of these wildcard teams is just going to get hot and play really, really well, unless it's the Colts. With that being said, I agree. I think the Browns are going to lose, the Dolphins are going to lose, which leaves the Browns out of the playoffs, which is a disappointment because we've seen them play really, really well recently. I think if they play as well as they did against the Ravens a few weeks back, you will see the Browns beat the Steelers this week, but I'm just not sure that happens. So my prediction is the Browns miss the playoffs. We sadly see the Colts, Phil Rivers, in the playoffs, and with that being said, it'll probably be an AFC between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. But, you know, we have one week left. It's all going to happen this week on Sunday, and of course next week. I'll be back to unpack everything and talk about what to expect from the playoffs, but this podcast isn't quite over. We're going to take a quick, quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about the NBA and really our first week reactions from this NBA regular season and everything that's happened on Christmas Day and since. Welcome back into Cuts of the Chase. Again, I'm your host, Chase Williams. Alongside me today is the great Kyle Boward. We just got done unpacking a lot of what's going on in the NFL. It, I mean, there's it's just a crazy, crazy year. And hopefully the NBA season can live up to what we've seen so far in the NFL season. It's been a great season so far for the NFL, and hopefully the playoffs are the same. But the NBA season started just under a week ago. If you haven't listened to my NBA preview podcast, I highly recommend going and listening to it. It was a great episode. Shout out to Sam Anderson for coming on. But, you know, as I mentioned, we're about a weekend, so I want to get just some instant reactions, really. Uh, I wrote down a bunch of just thoughts kind of that I got from the beginning of the NBA season. And you may have some stuff to add, but I think before we hop into that, there was big news this morning. Spencer did 
partially torn ACL out for the season, that's a huge blow to the Brooklyn Nets. How does that affect the Brooklyn Nets season in your eyes? And Spencer Dinwiddie, who should be, who is going to be a free agent this upcoming season. I had penciled in here when I was kind of going through and, and putting in order what, what I thought was the important stuff to talk about. I penciled in, and this is word for word, the Nets are the team to beat in the East. Uh, KD and Kyrie are set. They've got talent around them. Um, the news this morning throws a pretty big wrinkle into that because I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a super important piece to to the rotation, to the, the supporting cast around those two stars. And... I don't know. I don't know if the Nets are the team to beat anymore. I think that's a huge loss. That's a, you know, either a borderline starter or a six man, depending on uh, how things go with uh, um, Karis Levert. Uh, But it's just, it's weird because I had high hopes for him and I had high hopes for the Nets. I was, I legitimately had the Lakers and Nets in the finals, but I don't know if that happens now. I think the Nets, they're going to have to make a move to fill that hole. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, a name like a buddy healed or, you know, somebody like that to fill the role of Spencer Dinwiddie because he is so underrated and that, that really hurts them. I don't know if they're, if they've got the talent to, to make it to the finals now. I mean, you're right. It's a huge blow. It changes a lot for, for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, Karis LeVert, there, there's a lot that could happen here. As I, I think I texted you this earlier this week, either you or one, uh, either you or Sam Anderson. And I said, Karis LeVert's my pick for sixth man of the year. I really do. I thought that he's likely going to slide into the starting role next to Kyrie Irving in the backcourt. And I think that's a, the right pick slash he'll, he'll be more of the three on the team. Probably Joe Harris will be the two, but either way, there's a few things that I could see happening here. Either it leaves a hole, which is to be expected. You know, you lose a player like Spencer Dinwiddie, it's hard to replace all that production or this is very bold and I don't expect it to happen, but there's a small chance I could see Karis LeVert stepping up his game even more and truly becoming a third star on this team. I'm not saying he'll be a star year after year, but you know, there are years like Goran Drogic a few years ago had a really good year for the Heat and he made the all-star game. Uh, you know, Brandon Ingram last year, even though it's looking like Ingram's truly going to be a star across his, his career, had a really good year and became an all-star with the Pelicans last year. I could see Lovert taking advantage of this and having an all-star type season. Will it happen year after year? I doubt it. But I think that Karis LeVert could potentially do that, even though it's more likely they have a hole that they may have to try and make a trade to change things up. But more importantly, I think it hurts Spencer Dinwiddie. I think he needed, he was kind of in a middle ground where I don't know exactly how people will treat him in free agency. He may get overpaid. He may get underpaid. And now I think he's going to have to take a lesser contract. So there, there's really no winners here except for Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert has a lot that he can live up to, and I'm excited to see him potentially become a star player. As he is a Michigan man, and even though I don't support Michigan basketball the way I support Michigan football, I do like Michigan basketball a lot. 
And so I, I hope Levert plays really well. I think he will take a step up and play even better, even though he won't win sixth man of the year if he's starting all year, obviously. But it's a huge blow to the Nets. And I agree, they were probably my clear favorite in the East, even though they lost the Hornets last night, which you wouldn't expect from the clear favorite in the East. But I I think that this this is just a huge blow for the Nets. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about the East in general in just a few minutes. But my first instant reaction I want to get into is I don't think the Warriors are a playoff game. Uh, a playoff team, excuse me. Um, they they just they don't look good. And I realize they're, they don't have Draymond Green, but I don't see Draymond Green coming in and making this team a playoff team. I really don't. He may make them a competitive team and a team that can easily beat a team like the Bulls instead of needing a game winner. Um, but this team is not built to make the playoffs, not in the Western Conference, probably not in the Eastern Conference this year. Um, they may compete and be in a scenario like the Spurs wore last year, but I don't see this team in the in, in the playoffs at all. And so do you see the Warriors as a playoff team now that you've watched them play? Was it three games or do you think I'm overreacting a little bit because they don't have Draymond Green? I, <laughs> I don't think the Warriors are a playoff team the way they're playing right now. Andrew Wiggins looks awful. Kelly Oubre looks worse, and I don't know how it's possible. Um, those two struggling together makes this team look like a, a pretender. And, you know, I said it all offseason. They need to trade Andrew Wiggins and bring somebody else in. His contract is ridiculous, um, but his trade value is almost non-existent anymore, in my opinion. And... Steph Curry can't do this himself. Wiseman has looked really good, and I've been enjoyed watching him play. Uh, but yeah, I the Warriors need help, and I don't think Draymond is the player that he used to be, and I don't think he makes enough of a difference. Uh, they're definitely on the outside looking in. They need to move on from Andrew Wiggins, and, they, and Kelly Oubre needs to figure his crap out. It's interesting because going into the season, I think I said this on my past podcast, but I had high hopes for Andrew Wiggins. I felt like in the Warriors, with the Warriors coaching staff and the Warriors system, he could succeed more. I mean, even if it was just a Harrison Barnes type role, like I thought that's really what it was going to be for him and he would he would succeed for his role. But we haven't seen that at all. And somehow in three games, he went from, I think, having at least a little bit of trade value to having absolutely nothing. I, I agree. It's going to be hard to move on from, but they definitely should look into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Warriors, they, they are pretenders. You're correct. Another team that I thought at least last week was a pretender that I'm not so sure about now is the Pelicans. Uh, I have a few instant reactions about the Pelicans. You know, first of all, if Zion can stay healthy, Across his whole career, he's going to be a great, great player. He looked really, really good, especially in the second quarter on Christmas Day against the Miami Heat. Um, Lonzo Lonzo Ball has a much better shot for him, and that's going to be huge for him and the Pelicans. I think that's really helpful. And finally, I think my last reaction about the Pelicans, before I swing it over to you to see if you have anything to comment, is they have to trade J.J. Redick. He hasn't looked great, in my opinion. I don't think he played that well last year in general. I mean, he had a fine season, but nothing special. Um, but I think they have to move on from him. I don't think him – I don't think he wants to play for Van Gundy. He, I mean, he made that supposedly sarcastic comment about having to deal with Van Gundy's training camp again, this and that. 
I don't think he wants to be there with Van Gundy as his coach. I don't think he really wants to be there in general. Um, so because of that, I think they have to move on to JJ Redick. But I'll swing it over to you if you have anything at all to add on this. Yeah, I, I think Zion is exceptional. Um, I've been one of his biggest haters for the past two years. Um, just because I don't trust his knees. Uh, I I think he's one misstep away from Derrick Rose status as an NBA player. He's really, really good when he's healthy. Um, I think we're going to see the Pelicans kind of monitoring his minutes for the majority of his career. And I don't know. I just don't expect him to stay on the court and stay healthy for an entire career to be the hall of famer that everybody has hyped him up to be. Um, but as a team, Pelicans are exciting. I, I love their roster. I didn't like the Steven Adams, uh, move i didn't think he fit them he has proved me wrong so far he's looked pretty good um i i think you're probably right that jj reddick should move on at this point in jj reddick's career he should really go to a team trying to get a ring and just be you know the role player who comes in like you know danny green last year with the lakers that i think is what jj reddick should do so i think they should trade him to a contender uh, not that they aren't a contender. They're just, they're not his team. Uh, so I can see, and I know I said this in the off season, I still think that a good target for the Pelicans to put themselves into a contender status uh, is Miles Turner from Indiana. I think that they need to find a way to go get Miles Turner. And I think he fits very well. I think, you know, they can give up Jackson Hayes. I don't think he's, he's the future for the Pelicans. I think that they should really consider trading for miles Turner and using Jackson Hayes as that kind of centerpiece of that deal. Um, but no, I look forward to seeing what the Pelicans can do. Brandon Ingram looks great. Looks phenomenal. He's going to be an all-star again this year. He has been so exciting. I'm so bummed that the Lakers had to move on from him. Um, I wish he was a Laker right now over Kyle Kuzma. But, you know, we, we can't, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? You win some, you lose some. Um, bringing up Steven Adams, you and I had the same opinions on him and the fact that I don't think he fit New Orleans very well. But that was because I think they just needed a center that can stretch the floor more. But with the fact that Lonzo Ball has a jump shot right now, I think that helps the fit of Steven Adams, that there is more spacing and that they can't just crash the paint pretty much. Um, I'm going to swing through this next opinion really quickly. Um, Tyron Lue, overrated coach. I really thought he deserved a second chance. Was happy to see him with the with the Clippers, but um, the fact that they lost without Kawhi to Dallas, who didn't have Kristaps Porzingis by 51, is unacceptable. Um, they should call Doc Rivers and apologize for firing him right now. But I won't. I, we won't go into that too much. I want to now talk about the East. I think it's pretty obvious that. The Nets, the Celtics, the Heat, and the Bucks are already the teams to beat. Ironically, they are not the teams at the top of the East right now. That's that's your uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, shout out Ben Disher, and um, the Orlando Magic, along with some other just absolutely terrible teams. But uh, with that being said, I think that these are your four top teams. You know, they already all have kind of a bad game with the fact that the Nets lost to the Hornets. 
The Celtics got blown out by the Nets. The Heat lost to the Magic. And the Bucks lost by like 20 points to the New York Knicks. So they've all struggled already. But that's expected early season. They all have some changes in the roster. No surprises there. But all of these teams clearly have shown they have a lot of talent and should be your final four teams in the East. Do you agree with that? Do you not? And also, I haven't mentioned that the 76ers could potentially flirt with that. Um, do you have any other teams that maybe could flirt and break up this top four out in the East? I think you mentioned earlier, and it was just very briefly about the the top four teams in the East right now, the Magic, Cavs, uh, Pacers, and Hawks are the undefeated teams. The first five games of each season in the NBA, to me, are not important because you get teams like that, you know, the Magic probably shouldn't be a playoff team, but they might. The Cavs, they're not ready yet. The Pacers, I'm not believing the hype around them. Uh, the Hawks, they're a seven or eight seed, in my opinion. Uh, I like the Hawks roster right now. I think they've deserved their wins so far. Like, I don't know. I, I like their rotation. I like what they did this offseason, uh, getting Gallinari, even though he's hurt right now. Uh, and getting Bogdanovich. I think that they have a good roster, and I look forward to seeing the Hawks play this year. Um, the the five teams you mentioned, the Celtics, Heat, Bucks, Nets, and 76ers, are by far the best five teams in the East. And I think any of those five team, teams could win uh, multiple playoff games. I think the 76ers could maybe win one, but no more, depending on their matchup. The Nets were the team to beat, but with Dinwiddie out, I don't know. I think the Bucks still need another piece uh, that that trade for Bogdanovich that kind of fell apart. That would have been to me the move that made them the favorite. I think they still need to make one more supporting cast move. Um, I don't know if I can say this because the Heat just came off making it to the NBA Finals, but the Heat are so underrated again. They're a really good team, and I don't know why people aren't talking about them more. Um, so, yeah, the, the Heat could win a couple. They could make the finals again. The Celtics didn't get better as a team this offseason, but Jason Tatum improved his game. He grew. He got taller. He is an absolute bona fide star in this league. And, you know, after hearing the Spencer Dinwiddie news, the Celtics moved above the Nets, in my opinion. I, I think we could see a Lakers-Celtics finals. That's a that's an interesting interesting decision. I would put I would have had the Celtics as my fourth best team out of these four. Um they've I think they've quickly shown they're probably better than the Bucs, and they they're flirting with being better than the Nets. And I don't necessarily think the Heat are the best team in the East, but I think they're the most consistent team. In the East, probably throughout this season, they have the best loss out of, the, out of them with their loss to the Magic. I personally watched that game, which is maybe why I'm saying this. Uh, there were some bad calls, you know. There, um, We didn't have Avery Bradley playing. Avery Bradley was a huge pickup. He played amazing against the Pelicans on Christmas Day. I just think Miami, with the additions of Precious Chua and Avery Bradley, are just huge for them. I think you're right that they are somehow underrated. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are all good teams and another team I expected to flirt with these guys were the Toronto Raptors, but they're slowly leaning towards a total rebuild. They're, they're losing those key pieces. They lost Serge. They lost, um, 
um, Marcus Saul. Um, Pascal Siakam, I think, struggles now that he doesn't have Kawhi there as much. Still a good player. Uh, Kyle Lowry is getting older. I think they need to rebuild. You know, keep key pieces like Fred Van Fleet. Keep, I would say, obviously Siakam as well. But they're slowly leaning towards a rebuild. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think they should rebuild. I was honestly a little bit surprised that Van Vliet went back to Toronto. I thought, and I don't even know if there was an offer from the Knicks, but I thought Fred Van Vliet to the Knicks made a lot of sense. Um, Seeing him come back was kind of a weird scenario, but I think, I don't know, maybe it is time for them to really say bye-bye to Kyle Lowry. Um, Yeah, they should rebuild. They probably won't. They're still going to compete for, you know, a lower seed. And, uh, yeah, they're not going to do a whole lot. And I think it's going to be a wasted year for Toronto. I I agree. I'm going to swing past the point I decided to bring up next, but we'll come back to it. Speaking of a waste of a playoff position, the Magic are going to be the Magic and get the eighth <laughs> seed again. I really don't have much else to say than that, but they are. Um I'm more important to hear what you think on the Wizards. Because like the Raptors, slow start, not living up to the hype. But I don't want to overreact. While I do think the Raptors are going to rebuild, I still see them in the playoffs this year. The Wizards, I'm not sure I see them in the playoffs. I never was sure that we would see them in the playoffs. Are the Wizards just, you know, working out the fact that they have a new starting point guard, a recent addition having to switch up the offense a little bit? Or are the Wizards legit just a bad team? I think it's going to take some time for Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal to build a rapport. Um, that being said, eight seed is kind of a reach. Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if if the Wizards trade Bradley Beal before the trade deadline this year. Uh, if things aren't working out and they're on the outside looking in, I think it's time for them to cash in and be like, yo, Russ, you're here until your contract's up and then whatever. But uh, yeah, they're, they're a borderline playoff team. I'm not surprised to see them struggle this early. Um, But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with them. Russ is still putting up good numbers. Uh, They've still got, you know, two all-star caliber players. They can't be that bad. Right. (laughs) I, I agree. The problem, I mean, a bit decent part of the problem is that while Russell Westbrook's still putting up decent numbers, he's still not shooting well. And it's funny because I said if they struggle at the beginning, I see them trading Beal. I disagree. I agree with what you said in the fact that they'll come around and fight for a playoff spot, but I'm not sure they'll get that. And because of that, I think they may hold on to Bradley Beal. I think if they struggle long-term, if they don't show much fight against teams – Maybe they gave up on Beal, but I'm kind of going against what I said last week. And if they don't click early, they won't even try. I think they will try. But I want to go into my last. My last reaction is, as I said, I I didn't see the Pacific Division having four playoff teams. Pacific Division being both the LA teams, the Suns, the Warriors, and the Kings. I now potentially do. As I've already mentioned, I don't see the Warriors making it. I think the Kings could be a playoff team. I thought they would take a step back this year and struggle more, but they look really actually pretty competitive. You know, they did lose to the Suns. I think they've also beat the Suns, though. And then also they have an overtime win with a Buddy Hill putback game winner against the Nuggets to start off their season. So 
I think I think the Kings could be a playoff team. Is that something you agree with, or am I crazy? And it's that Sacramento blood I have with being born and living my first four years up out there that's making me think that this Kings team could make the playoffs. I have written down, and I and I stood firmly with this at first, and I've kind of loosened my opinion on it. The Kings are not a playoff team. Uh, I think you know right now you look at Harrison Barnes. I think he's overachieving based on his career projections and trajectory from you know when he was with the Warriors I thought you know early they had too many guards that needed big minutes uh you know the the draft pick of Halliburton to me didn't make a whole lot of sense um but after I wrote that down and like kind of sat on it I looked at their roster and and I love the idea that this roster is all getting a chance at redemption you look at some of the players they have on their roster you know, they've got Jabari Parker, Harrison Barnes, Marvin Bagley. Uh, they've got, um, oh my gosh, I can't even remember his name now. You sp- play for the Heat in Portland. Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside, yes, that's who it is. Another redemption story. Uh, De'Aaron Fox has done a lot of talking uh, and hasn't done a whole lot of performing, but he could still be a really, really good player in this league. Buddy Heald needed a rebound year, needed a redemption year, I thought. I think uh, all the trade talk in the offseason, I thought his mind wasn't going to be in it. But right now, the way they're playing, uh, this is a fun story to watch. I look forward to seeing how their year goes. I don't expect Harrison Barnes, among other players, to keep playing as well. Uh, But... No, I can, I can see them potentially being a playoff team. I don't think they have the star power, but they have a whole bunch of guys who are basically playing for a job, and uh, that could be dangerous. I I completely agree. I definitely don't want to come out and say that I think they're a playoff team. They're a great team. Don't get me wrong, but I just think that they could compete. I agree with you mentioned the Tyrese Halliburton draft pick. Confused me at first, too, but it actually, I think, is working out better than I expected. Um, I just think the culture there is very good. I think everyone's kind of happy, which kind of surprises me because I didn't expect that with every all the tension around Buddy Heald, for example. Um, also, with players like Hassan Whiteside, I've never been a huge fan of him. Um, I was for uh, about... I would say maybe half a year with the Heat, but very quickly I got tired of him. Um, and so because of that, I I was not excited to see the idea of him on this Kings team. But the Kings seem to be clicking pretty well. I disagree on De'Aaron Fox. I think De'Aaron Fox, if he was on Atlanta or on Memphis and you saw Jar train Sacramento, maybe Memphis isn't as good as they were last year. Maybe Atlanta's not as hyped up as they are right now. But I think he's in a bigger spotlight. Like I just I feel like he still does his thing and does play very well. And you don't see a huge difference in what those teams did last year or what they're expected to do this year. I just think there's some disrespect on De'Aaron Fox's name because he was drafted by the Kings, and that's more on the Kings as a franchise than it is on De'Aaron Fox. So I'm extremely excited to see this team and what it could become. It, it should be a very good year for the Sacramento Kings, even if they don't make the playoffs, which is kind of sad Sad to say. Um, that Somehow I'm starting to think that Luke Walton is not a totally incompetent coach and could 
somewhat do something. So as a whole, I just I think the Kings are kind of a more fun team than I expected. And I talked about how the Pacific Division would flirt with having four teams, and that's true. I just think it's the Kings, not the Warriors. Um, but as we end every episode, I like to do a team or a player of the episode. And so originally, I had to put the Jags down. They, uh, the Jaguars are the real winners with getting to trapped Trevor Lawrence. But on a real note, I'm going to say Shea Gilgis Alexander. He is my player of the episode over the Jaguars, um, mainly because he at least did something good where the Jaguars lost. They're getting reward for losing. Um, but, you know, he gets to really do whatever he wants and build himself into a star in Oklahoma City. You know, he had a game winner over the Charlotte Hornets. That game, he had 24 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds. But he's in a smaller market. Um, no one expects anything from the Thunder. And they have a decent staff, I feel like, with building players. You know, a lot. they've had a few duds. You know, they drafted Cameron Payne. Um, Basley's out there, but he actually played really well. He had 17 points against the Hornets. But he's been a little bit of a dud for them. But they've also built people like Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook, who have all won MVPs. And so I think it's nice because he gets to be the star of this team and be as good as th- anything they do, they're over-succeeding with. And if he has a very in season and they play like trash, it is what it is. They're not going to be against it. it. It's just whatever. He really can't... He has no expectations to be some star, but he has every chance to build himself into a great star this year. And Shea's started off with a near triple double over the Hornets with a game winner. I mean, I, uh, he just, he, in my opinion, opened my eyes. I've, I thought he was a little bit overhyped. I think having Chris Paul last year was extremely helpful into him building himself into what he could potentially become and what he's going to build even more into this year, but he's going to be the leader of this team. And I think, He just fits really well as the face of the rebuild in Oklahoma City. So I'm excited for him. I think the Thunder, because of him, are going to over-succeed into something like the 13th seed in the the West, which is pretty pathetic to say, but it's the truth as succeeding more than we expect them to. So I'm excited to see what Shea does throughout the season. He had a really fun and good first game, so shout out to him. But I'll swing it over to you, Kyle. You can tell us who your team or player of the episode is. First and foremost, before I get into my pick for this week, I can't come on your podcast, talk about the NBA, and not give a major shout-out to my Lakers. They are in a league of their own. Uh, They got way better this offseason. They upgraded uh, tremendously over a finals-winning team last year. It's crazy to think about that. Um, Preseason, Taylor Horton Tucker played out of his mind in the preseason. I think he could be a good piece uh, for this year as a rotation piece. Kyle Kuzma showed last night that he uh, deserves or he deserved that extension that he got. I still think they should trade him, but the Lakers are winning the finals again this year. Uh, So boom, shout out Lakers. Um, The other one thing, and I know baseball isn't your major like favorite thing to talk about. There was some pretty cool news uh, late last night, early this morning. Um, The, the Tampa Bay Rays, who just came off making it to the World Series, are trading their star pitcher, Blake Snell, to the Padres. Uh, this is significant because Blake Snell felt like he was disrespected by the Rays when they pulled him early 
in that World Series game after like 75 pitches. And uh, maybe there was more to that disrespect than than I knew about. So big shout out, Blake Snell, getting to go play for the Padres and compete for an NL West championship. Uh, that's going to be a really fun thing to watch. He is not my player of the week, though. Uh, my team of the week, and this is going to be a little bit controversial, I picked the Miami Dolphins as my team of the week. And it's coming off a, you know, a not super impressive win against the Raiders, but they are set up to be a playoff team in the AFC after playing so poorly last year. And in my opinion, having the worst team in the league last year, they're a playoff team this year. And because of the Laramie Tunsil trade with the Texans, the Dolphins are going to be a playoff team and they're going to have a top four pick in the draft from that trade. So that to me is, is reason enough for the Dolphins to be the team of the week. The Dolphins were one of the teams I actually looked into as putting as my spotlight here at the end of the episode. It's ironic that you mentioned the Blake Snell scenario with the Rays, because I meant to text you this morning and be like, I don't get baseball. Help me understand why a World Series team is trading their star pitcher, pretty much. Um, I did not understand it at all. Um, that helps me expl- understand it a little bit more. Um, but it should be a, a it, it should be a f- fun few seasons for the Dolphins finally getting to your your team of the week. And so I'm I'm really excited to see what happens with the Dolphins. They're a great pick. Um, but to wrap up this episode, I do want to swing it back over to the Rays because it's an interesting scenario there. And so I'm actually going to ask you a follow-up question because I know that it sounds like they're trying to maybe trade their center fielder now as well or one of their outfielders. What, If you understand, what are the Rays doing here? Are they rebuilding after a World Series season or to try to extend their window? Or is it just because they're kind of seeing themselves screw themselves over with the Blake Snell scenario and they're just kind of like, well, now we have no choice. What, what is going on there? If you could help the viewers understand. The Rays are such a confusing organization. Uh, you know, it's looking at the statistics of it. It's one of the worst like ballparks to go watch a game. It's kind of disgusting. Uh, the Rays are always kind of the joke of the MLB. I think uh, for their first issue was they they lost Charlie Morton, uh, who was you know a great starting pitcher for them. Uh, not being able to bring him back was a big blow. The Blake Snell thing, um, I actually texted a buddy of mine this morning about that. Uh, to me, it made no sense at all. I thought that was the dumbest thing for them to do. But he seemed to, and he kind of convinced me of this a little bit. He said uh, that the reason they're doing it is, first of all, he didn't think Blake Snell was as good as everybody else thinks he is. And by getting four prospects, the Rays do what they do best, and they hoard young talent, and they cash in on that young talent before they get paid big bucks. Uh, And so his thing was, it was kind of a, not really a rebuild, but a reload kind of thing. Um yeah, they, they're in the the NL East with 
with the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. So they can't compete money wise with those huge teams. But so I think it, it's kind of a, yeah, like a reload uh, for them. But the, yeah, you brought up Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, outfielder, the pride of Parkland College in Champaign, Illinois. Big shout out to my Cobras. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer is probably the next name to be traded. Uh, he's one of those, you know, great defensive center fielder, okay hitter. He'll improve some team. He's not a, a huge name. People aren't going to be like, wow, somebody just gave up five prospects for Kevin Kiermeyer. I don't think that's going to happen. But I thought I think it makes sense for them to trade Kiermeyer. Uh, to me, it didn't make sense to trade Blake Snell. So that was, I don't know, it's a confusing offseason. MLB payrolls have gone way, way, way down from what they were. Uh, the pandemic really had a major impact on the MLB. And uh, I think we're seeing teams like small market Tampa Bay make moves to try to salvage some pandemic funds. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering if it was exactly a reload. I think the way, I don't want to, I don't want to say Blake sounds like, I don't understand. I mean, I do under. I know he's a great player, but I don't like. I'm not going to say he is the best of the best. But if he's a a player that is a top 25 talent in the MLB, reloading, trading him away so they could have four more chances at having a top 20 prospect, uh, a top 20 future player in the MLB is kind of what I was wondering if they were getting at there. You know exactly a sell on what they can do to extend their future is not a joke of a franchise pretty much, which sounds exactly like what they're doing. So thank you for that explanation as much for me as it is for the listeners, but it's another great episode, another long one here as it seems like they have been with everything going on in the NBA season. But of course, thank you for coming on the podcast once again, as always, it's a joy to have you, but you're listening to cut to the chase. And we out.